0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator and the editor of its US edition. We thought that 2020 was going to be all about the presidential election, but now it will forever be the year of the pandemic. So instead, Americano is going to look at how COVID-19 is transforming the United States and its politics. There's a lot to talk about, perhaps even more so than before. So please keep tuning in. I'm joined today by Matt Mayer, who is president of Opportunity Ohio, and we're going to be asking if the 2020 election will end up being all about China. Now, Matt, you wrote a fascinating piece for us about the triple hit that China has inflicted on the American Midwest and how this could become a crucial factor in the election. Could you take us through what the triple hit is and why it will be so important in 2020?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, essentially what you have to do is step back a bit and, and open up your aperture and realize that places like Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, those are the really critical states for Donald Trump's election in 2016 and will be the critical states in 2020. Those states were greatly impacted by NAFTA and the movement and globalization in terms of pushing things to China, literally where there were factories in Ohio that were taken apart and shipped over to China and rebuilt. Uh, where the job losses were happening in the 1990s and the early 2000s. So that was the first hit that really started decimating Main Street America uh, in those key battleground Midwestern states. As you saw then those folks who lost their jobs, you know, lost opportunity, Main Streets were closing down. That's when you saw the rise of the use of opioids to treat that kind of psychological and physical pain that these uh, men and women had gone through. And then when China started flooding the U.S. market with fentanyl that was coming out of Wuhan, I, I, I you know, ironically, right, you started seeing these massive spike in overdose deaths all across America. You know, we've had more than 20,000 in Ohio. They estimate we're going to have 50,000 per year over the next decade, which is, you know, half a million Americans, which far exceeds any war we've ever fought, including our own civil war back in the 1860s. So that really was the second hit, right? And so then Here you now have Donald Trump gets elected. And over the last three years, we've started to see a resurgence back, right? Record low unemployment for African-Americans, record low unemployment for Hispanic Americans, record low unemployment for those without a high school degree. And those folks are starting to get back on their feet. Jobs are coming back, wages are going up. And then boom, out of Wuhan comes this virus that essentially is now this, that just has utterly decimated Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And, And the job losses we're seeing are just stunning. I mean, it's stunning in terms of, you know, more un- more unemployment than we've seen since the Great Depression, and it's happening within a month or two. We're not talking about, oh, over the course of a year, 2020 is setting records after just four months in beating annual records in past years and other events. So this thing is enormous. So that's really the third hit out of China that's really going to put a lot of American middle-class families uh, in a position where they will be looking at the ballot box to essentially have their voices heard.
0: And and this is something that Trump is meant to be stronger on. And I mean, because Trump's whole play for 2020 was going to be saying to Americans that look at the economy. I've produced this beautiful economy for you. Uh, vote for me again. He can't do that now. So he will almost inevitably pivot to saying I'm the person who will stand up to China. But it's interesting that Biden is also trying to say the same thing and that you can't trust Trump with China.
1: Yeah. So essentially what Donald Trump's going to now have to do is thread a needle that says, look, look what I did already in my first three years. Right. I, I built this amazing economy that that was coming back and doing everything we wanted it to do. And then China does this you know terrible thing where they hide information. They, they keep us from seeing what's going on. They don't tell us about it. And now we get hit. And so we've had this decimated economy. So two things need to happen. Right. We need to take on China. And oh, by the way, I'm the only guy over the last 30 years who's taken on China. Uh, and number two, we need to now rebuild our economy even more than we would had before. And I did it once. Let me do it again. But Joe Biden was part of that Obama-Biden administration that is what resulted in us having anemic job growth, uh, low, no wage growth. Uh, I'm the guy who brought it back. I can do it again. So that's going to be the thrust of his argument.
0: It's going to be tricky for Trump, though, because, I mean, even though, you know, in 2016, I think it was a very underestimated A part of his message was that he would stand up to China. He, he was always very he made sympathetic noises, but always made it clear that he understood that China was ripping off America. But it's going to be quite hard now that having been president for a whole term, America still finds itself desperately reliant on the Chinese economy. And even in this crisis, everybody accepts that after this, there can no longer be... Uh, you know, America doesn't shouldn't have to rely on China for its medical supplies and so on. But it's it's too late at the moment because America, like Britain and other countries, is relying on Chinese supply to get through the crisis.
1: Yeah. And that's where he's going to start putting forth proposals that are going to be about reshoring, right, that, hey, we're going to cover the cost to move that entire factory back to America to work to incent those manufacturing and other companies to start doing stuff here or elsewhere. He's going to start using it to geopolitically, right, align countries like Thailand, Vietnam, Taiwan to try to check China, so it's going to be a bigger play. But that's the kind of stuff he's going to start doing to kind of resonate on Main Street. That I'm going to be the guy to bring it back, and Joe Biden's not going to be that. Joe Biden said China's not a threat. Joe Biden said, you know, give me a break. They're are our ally. You know, he took his son there and, and you know had his son get you know cut a 1.5 billion dollar deal. You know, Joe Biden's not going to be the guy to do it. I'm the guy that can do this, and you know I can because I got him to take a trade deal already. And what do you know, right after the trade good sign, we get hit with this virus. So, you know, we're going to we're going to beat back China and I, I'm the guy to do it.
0: Well, I could see, uh, you know, an attack ad on on Hunter Biden about the, the dodgy deals with China would be very effective. But also already the Biden campaign have started to chop up things Trump has said, because in the course of negotiating with China, he has said lots of very complimentary things about Xi and lots of, you know, very sort of welcoming things. There's which might be an understandable negotiating tactic. But if if you want to portray Trump as looking soft on China, you can do it with a clever advert.
1: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. But, but I don't think that's going to fly. As we say in America, that dog ain't going to hunt. Because I think every, every American that's going to be voting has heard how aggressive he's been on China. They've been stealing our technology. They've been stealing our jobs. And they're going to understand that, you know, what he had to say to try to be nice to Xi or even Kim Jong-un, right? That's just diplomacy. But He's going, to be, he's going to be the guy that's going to fight for them, and, and I don't think anyone's going to question that. No matter what ads the Biden campaign runs, they're just going to be pouring their money uh, down a drain to try to beat a narrative that's already well established in the American psyche.
0: Well, it'd be interesting what I mean what Trump has to say to China while this election's going on, because presumably that you know the, the, the deal is not complete. Uh, we know that he stopped saying the China virus after a phone call with Xi, um, so presumably the Chinese have some sort of leverage still. Uh, with him, quite a lot of leverage under thought. So it'll be interesting. I mean, how will he be be able to run this anti-China campaign, if you like, and not cause a a dramatic rift with China that could wreck the economy even further?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to essentially do what Barack Obama did with uh, Vladimir Putin uh, in Medvedev when he said, you know, hey, cut me some slack here. Once I get through the re-election, I'll have more leverage to, to do some other things. My guess is that President Trump will say to Xi behind closed doors, Hey, I'm going to have to be, you know, pretty hardcore here to, to as part of my deal to get reelected. But understand, I know, you know, we are partners. I, I value China. We're, you know, you're, you have a place in the world. But look, I, I, you know, I'm going to be taking off the gloves here over the next six months because I've got an election I'm going to win to to rebuild America. And that's kind of, I think, what he had already done anyway with Z before. And then they're going to fight back, which is fine. I think, it, it, ironically, the more China fights back. I actually think that's helpful to, to President Trump. Like the, there was an editorial in the Wall Street Journal today that I actually think is going to backfire on China that was written by a Chinese government official. And it just comes across as weasel words, right, hedging. And that kind of stuff is, I think, just going to be more beneficial to Donald Trump than the Chinese realize.
0: Let's talk a bit about how Midwesterners say, feel about China. I mean, I'm, I'm often struck that Americans are actually quite well disposed towards China considering as you have pointed out, China has been the country that has eviscerated its economy. It's, it is replacing America as the, as the world's leading economic superpower, slowly and surely. And yet, I, I would say most Americans are fairly magnanimous about that. But inevitably, I, I just wonder how effective China, anti-Chinese rhetoric will be and wh- whether you, you worry that it'll get dangerous, because I think none of us who are sane want serious conflict or the risk of serious conflict between these two very powerful countries.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think anybody wants actual war, because that that just it won't, that won't end well for anyone, frankly. But look, this is a changed condition for the American middle, you know, Main Street. They love their cheap goods out of Walmart and, you know, Sam's Club and Amazon. but But now they've watched, like, their jobs go down the drain. They're watching their communities die. You know, they're being told they can't go places. So they have to wear masks. Their kids can't do Friday night football coming up in the fall the things that really college football on Saturday, right, pro football on Sunday, stuff that really matters, that's going to change the perception of not the Chinese people, but the Chinese government, right? Just like America didn't blame the Russian people back in the Cold War, we knew it was the Russian government, the Soviet government at that time. So I think what you're going to see is the recognition by you know the man on the street that the Chinese people aren't to blame here. This is the Chinese government that's all about power, Expanding its power, being militaristic, stealing our technology, and we're just going to have to fight back, and that's the way it's going to be.
0: Do you think there might be an increasing anger, though, an increasing desire to punish people in America, Americans or, or Westerners in America, or in American spheres of influence, who are obviously on Beijing's side, as it were, on crucial issues?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that 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 being weak on China politically will be deadly in the coming year. So. I think that's where both political parties will now try to paint the other side as the weak on China folks. J- just like, you know, back in the day, we had the Red Scare, right? Just like you were, you know, Bernie Sanders was still getting hit over spending time in, in the Soviet Union in Moscow for his honeymoon. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to that's gonna be that jingoistic nationalist you know, drum beating, and both sides are going to try to take advantage of it. My guess is it's going to be tough for the Democrats to do it to the Republicans, and, and it'll be easier for the Republicans to do it to the Democrats because it's it's the current narrative over the last few years that Trump has been fighting China and they haven't.
0: I'd like to so say, how, how do people in Ohio feel about the war on terror now? Because it occurred to me, uh, reading a piece this morning, that the war on terror was a sort of almighty strategic distraction from this much bigger issue of the rise of China, which there was a lot of think tank talk about it. But it was never a sort of serious strategic issue for Americans and and in American elections.
1: It was, but but if you but I think you actually would be what war on terror, yeah. right? I mean, in in, in many ways, right, it's now become an annoyance. Meaning, they still have to go to the airport, and you know TSA still patting down Grandma and little Billy, and most Americans go. That's just faux security. It's it's absolutely meaningless. That's not they're not a danger, but we all still have to go through it, and we find it to be pretty annoying, right? This in Ohio, you know, we're, we're switching to the real ID as of October 20th, which means we have to have all this paperwork extra we have to take to the to Bureau of Motor Vehicles to get our driver's license. And people are annoyed by it because, again, we're now 20 years post 9 11, 15 years since that law was enacted on driver's license. And people are going, uh, When's the last time that we had a security risk from airlines due to a terrorist, domestically speaking? Why do we need to change our driver's license when we've had this? This has worked fine in the last 15 years. So to your point, right? I mean, you know, after the Soleimani killing in Iraq, most Americans probably saw that more as uh, that's just containing Iran. That's really not a terror war and terror kind of thing. So it's just receded in the background, which is not a bad thing, by the way.
0: I, I like your optimism that people might fly again with or without security. I think that's that's, funny. that's that's being a bit optimistic in my mind, but feeling a bit gloomy about it all today. But how do you think Biden's China position will change in the next few months. I mean, how can he get away from Beijing Biden? I mean, there's a slur.
1: Yeah, he already has tried, right? I mean, in the last few weeks, you've noticed he's been a little bit more aggressive in his language. The difficulty for him is this is like the John Kerry when he got swift voted, right? Boy, he's been defined early. And my guess is, I think the Trump campaign already put out an ad, you you know, on social media, hitting Biden on China. And so they're going to define him before he has a chance. And they have so much more money that Biden can't possibly fight a war, airway war, social media war on whether or not he's weak on China. And that's why if the election is on China, I think Trump wins easily and easily not a landslide. We don't have landslides in America anymore. That's not possible because of the division in the red and blue states. But he would he will comfortably win the states he won before and probably add uh, New Hampshire, possibly New Mexico, possibly Nevada and possibly Colorado.
0: You're, you sound quite confident about that. I mean, given the economy, I think that's that's quite a big claim.
1: I know. I realize that. But again, so this is where the China piece has you know, uh, stirred the uh, pot a bit, where it used to be nice and simple with James Carville's, you know, it's the economy stupid 1992 with Bill Clinton. It's, it's not that simple anymore because of the devastation wrought by this pandemic. And so it'll be harder to just say, oh, boy, look at all the economy. It's not good. That's Trump's fault no one's going to buy that. They're not going to blame Trump for the economy. They're going to blame Trump if he doesn't do stuff proactively to get the economy back. So that's where I think my optimism comes from, is that in some ways, the devastation of the pandemic has actually made it easier for Trump to defend himself on the economy.
0: Well, I think, I mean, watching what sort of Republican attack lines at the moment, or certainly on, on pro-Trump media, there's a lot of talk about Russia Gate. Uh, about Flynn and about the injustice of uh, the Russia collusion narrative that really dominated American news media for for three years, two to three years. And I wonder whether one of the reasons the Republican Party are keen on this and and Trump, Team Trump are pushing this so much, is that for them, it actually ties into the China problem. Because in the early stages, there there seems to have been a lot of concern in the Obama administration about Trump's or Trump's Interest in knocking back China, and we know that there are connections between China and the Obama administration, and there may well be an element of conspiracy about it. Do you think that's where the the sort of the drive is going?
1: In some ways, yeah. I mean, I I, I can't remember whose transcript. I think it might have been Susan Rice actually. That you know, one of the transcripts that just got released, where it's interesting because she actually talks about how Michael Flynn was obsessed with China. And she thought that that actually bolstered this idea that he was some Russian asset because he was not. He thought he was dismissive of Russia, but focused solely on China. Yes, uh, and she said to him,
0: she said to him, didn't she say to him something like, you know, what about China and what about Russia? And he said, well, Russia is in terms of power a much less important state. And yeah, it's and, a dying
1: state. It's a Petro state, and you know, who cares? Doesn't have influence. But China is where the action is. And yeah. uh, she was, you know, oh wow, that set off red flags in her mind. So. That's going to be a really great clip that you're going to see more and more people hone in on, right? But again, and this is where that Hunter Biden piece is going to be deadly. And this gets into all these ironies, right? If the Democrats hadn't pushed so hard on impeachment that forced the Trump folks to push so aggressively back on Hunter Biden and all his business dealings, Hmm. nobody would have any idea about this $1.5 billion deal that, that Hunter Biden got out of China after flying with Joe Biden to China, right? That's now going to become front and center as part of a campaign piece because it gets back to what you're saying is this thematic Obama administration soft on China. It was only when Donald Trump came in that, boy, things started to happen to to push China back and to, to really protect America. So that's what's going to be fascinating. And I don't know how Biden gets out of that trap that, ironically, the Democrats have set themselves by some of the moves they made against Trump thinking they were going to somehow get Trump. But the, the Obama gate thing's fascinating on a different level, right? It's, it's now switched to 180 degrees, right? There's no evidence of anything that Trump did. And now there's all this stuff coming out that looks like the Obama administration did some pretty seedy stuff and maybe even illegal. We'll find out with the Durham investigation, right? And again, because they trumpeted that so much, most Americans have at least a good idea that Trump didn't do anything. And boy, now they're going to start seeing all this other weird stuff come out that's going to make it look really increasingly bad for the Obama administration, right? That will then create even more narrative about that. Forget about the China connection, but that the Obama administration wasn't this great, you know, scandal free, upstanding group of people. These are some bad actors doing some very kind of un-American things like spying on political opponents. Right. So that's going to be fascinating as this unrolls, too.
0: But I wonder about that. I wonder whether voters will think, you know, there's this pandemic going on. All our jobs are in danger or maybe even lost already. The Russiagate thing was obviously a bit of a joke why are we still talking about it there's more important stuff going on
1: yeah they might but but americans love suspense thrillers right they love the whodunits and so the, the interesting it places it's like made for tv kind of stuff right when we you know the every day now oh are they going to release the unmasked who did the unmasked thing who's the one who did it who did it who did it americans love that kind of stuff and remember they're now sitting at home every day with not much else to do so they can sit on the internet and they can talk to their friends and they can do the conspiracy theory stuff so it actually creates this kind of you know vortex that all information gets sucked in because nobody's busy actually doing their jobs right now they're sitting at home trying to figure out like you know what's going on in the world so it it could actually lead to people being more informed than you expect them to be normally right
0: do you ever worry that america's gone mad about conspiracy theories? Oh, I think uh, not just America. I think most countries have. But I think that everything now has to be conspiracy theory to be interesting. Right.
1: Yeah. There's everything now ends in a gate. Right. And and so I do worry. I mean, I worry more more about, you know, this idea of are are we, you know, we are in a civic war. Does that turn more deadly in the coming years? Right. I do worry because the polarization is so unprecedented. I mean, a week into this pandemic before the Democrats started attacking Trump immediately. Right. And, And that's just, that's a historical, we, we usually rally together to some degree and, and there is no rallying together anymore. There is now trench warfare. Every inch matters. It is like World War II, you know, out in, in, in Belgium. Like we are on the line and if we can gain that inch, we will, no matter, you know, what the cost is. And that's what worries me going forward is, is if this thing wasn't going to be the event that brought us back together, I don't know what will be.
0: Yeah. I wonder about that, because, I mean, if you look back to the 1970s, there was a lot more domestic terrorism in America. You know, you had kind of left wing anarchists, you had people like that. And and, and, I mean, it seems to me the mainstream is more extreme now, more more militant now. Polarization is more militant in the middle, perhaps. But on the edges, I'm not sure whether things have got much crazier.
1: Well, you know, you've got the Antifa folks on the left that do some up in portland and other places from time to time you've got the white supremacist on the right that you know charlottesville was the last thing they did of, of note they're all out there on the fringes but the worrisome piece is is you know it's there, there's not a big jump from agitated middle or let's say everyone's agitated just outside of the middle that something can happen that lights a fire that creates a bigger problem and, and you see kind of more of the stuff you saw in the 60s in terms of the riots and things like that happening and and you have to wonder Trump wins, will the left, elements of the left, get into some violence? If Trump loses, will elements on the right engage in violence? And that's the piece that uh, is really worrisome and unknown right now going into the, the election.
0: Finally, uh, which, which um, swing states do you think are hardest for Trump to win again? The ones that he won so crucially in 2016, which uh, at the moment it looks, but the polls suggest Pennsylvania will be hard. Do you think he'll get that?
1: Uh, I think Pennsylvania is going to be the hardest one for him to win again, followed by probably Michigan and Pennsylvania because of Pittsburgh and Philly are such huge cities and, you know, Republicans don't win those urban centers. Right. And so if, if the Democrats can run up the votes in those two cities, it'll be hard to make up the votes in the rest of the, of the state, which is why he won by such a small margin last time. And then Michigan to a lesser degree, the same issue. So what's going to be fascinating are two demographics that will matter. one, do African-Americans come out to vote for Biden like they did Obama, or do they not come out like they did for Clinton? And that's what's now driving this debate within the de- Democrats for him to have an African-American vice president, which is like Kamala Harris or you know something like that, because they believe if they don't have an African-American on the ticket, they will not drive out the African-American vote to the degree they need to. Secondarily is the suburban white women. They don't like Trump's style. They don't like the rhetoric. They don't like his Twitter account. And if he, you know, those are the ones that abandoned the Republicans in 2018, which is what the Democrats used to, 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 to get the gains in the House. He can't get enough of those back in 2020 among the suburban areas where he has to be stronger. Again, the urban centers will swamp what can happen in the suburban rural areas for Trump. So those are the places to watch. We're going to be Pennsylvania, Michigan, and then to a lesser extent, Wisconsin and Ohio.
0: And, of course, you've got to throw in also the possibility, a terrifying possibility of a, a second wave of COVID-19 Around the election, does that hurt the Republicans? Because you'd, you'd imagine that lower turnout would benefit the Republicans. Certainly, that's what the Democrats always make out. But actually, in a lot of these states, uh, low turnout might might harm the Trump campaign.
1: Yeah, I I don't think there's much weight behind low turnout ever hurting the Republicans. Right, the, their voters will go. It's the young folks in the the sporadic voters who don't show up in in non high turnout elections. But in terms of that second wave, my guess is it'll start hitting closer to December than November, early November, especially. So I don't think that'll be the issue. The issue is just gonna be things like, are all these college kids back at school? Or are they sitting at home where maybe going to vote would be easier if they're at school, right? They're partying on Friday night. They're you know, goofing around. They're not worried about you know, presidential elections. So that's the vote that, that the Democrats want and they, they'll get it in big numbers. But So if they're home because schools aren't open, then maybe that helps them versus they're back in college doing their thing and ignoring what happens in the real world.
0: Actually, absolutely. Lastly, just tell us a little bit about what Opportunity Ohio is. So, yeah,
1: Opportunity Ohio is a free market uh, think tank. So we focus on uh, economic policy here in the state of Ohio. And then I do a bunch of national security work uh, federally because of my time in D.C. with Homeland Security and the things I did back in the the Bush 43 days. So we do a whole lot of, you know, put out a bunch of, uh, I used a lot of charts and graphs because it's people don't read white papers anymore that think tanks put out. So I don't ever write white papers. I just put out nice, easy tables and charts that people can look on one page and go, Oh, I get it. That makes sense. That's either good or that's bad. Uh, so we try to influence policymakers that way we do a lot of videos that we run try to shape the debate in elections so we've got about 18 million views on our videos over the last 5 years in Ohio and other key battleground states and we'll put more videos out coming this coming fall on some of the key issues that try to shape the debate that the politicians will have on the
0: election well matt please keep writing for us and please come on to americano again thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that episode of americano and i'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback positive comments or constructive comments only please to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite try four weeks of the spectator absolutely free and for this month only you'll receive a spectator wireless phone charger Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash charger.